I know that you have a lot to do. Everybody around us is busy with life, with the things that are before us, with our jobs, with our families. We're just all busy. And sometimes we wonder, do I have what I need to get the job done? Can I lead my family? Uh, can I do my job? Can I take care of everybody? It's a common question. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and here's what he said. You have everything you need. In our relationship with God, that is certainly the case. And today we're going to look at what God has provided for us and how he has set us up to succeed and not to fail. We're going to look at the Word of God to the church at Corinth in Greece in about the year A.D. 55, when Paul was writing to the church and encouraging them in their faith and in their faithfulness. You and I listen to a passage of Scripture like this, and maybe somewhere in our minds it's like this. Well, those people had it better than we do. And they could live for God, and they knew what they were doing. But we live in a different time. Well, the church at Corinth was probably, if you were going to choose a place to start a church, one place in all of the world, I promise you, it wouldn't have been Corinth. You would have found a little easier place. And here's what God says to the church, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, Christ Jesus, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, meaning his return. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to imagine something with me. You are on, and it won't be hard, this will be an easy imagination. You're on the bank of a river and you've got to get to the other side. And the only way to get there is to swim. And while some of you may have such an overactive imagination, you are now worried about alligators and water moccasins and what might be flowing downstream. But if you can put those things behind you, just think with me. The only thing that really matters is this. The only thing that really matters is can I make it to the other side? Do I have what I need to get there? Some of you know I love what we in the South call snow skiing. I love the adventure of it. I love to get on an adventurous slope and look over the edge. And, and I've always got 
to determine, not can I make it to the bottom. If you're on the top of the hill, you can always make it to the bottom. (laughs) But what I want to know is, can I make it to the bottom in one piece? And you you have to, to ask the question, can I do that? A whole bunch of you started school this last week. And you're wondering, at least this is what I always wondered. I never had to imagine this. Can I complete this course? Can I do the work? Can I get to the end? Do I have what I need? And in our relationship with God, we ask the same questions. I want to live for him. I want to please him. Can I do that? I want others to see Christ living in me. Can I do that? Now, if you think that it was easier in Corinth than it is in Covington, then we've missed the point. There is no place on the face of the earth that was worse to plant a church than in Corinth, Greece. Corinth was known all over the Mediterranean world, not just as a busy seaport, not just as a place of commerce. It was known as an immoral place. If people called you a Corinthian, They were not giving you a nice name. They were pigeonholing you. They were thinking the worst of you because there was no place like Corinth. What if you were going to a church that had 100 people in it? We'll just pick a a round number, 100 people in it. And you would go into a church, you would assume, maybe you're a new believer, you would go into a church and you would assume that everybody there had read the Bible, everybody there knew Christ, everybody there was seeking to serve God and know God, and that they'd been doing it for a long time and they could help you in your Christian life. Because most people who can go into a church, that's exactly the way it is. But when Paul went to Corinth, he started the church at Corinth, and as far as we know, I mean, it was a big city, so we don't know, but as far as we know, we presume there were no other Christians there. And that those first, let's make them 100 people, those first 100 people, all of them were just the same. They had all come out of paganism. They had all worshipped idols. They were all superstitious. They had all lived in immorality because that was their world. And there was nobody who could tell them you can do it. Always look. You always look for somebody who's a little bit ahead of you, who can say to you, listen, I know where you are, and you can do this. You can make it. We're going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. None of those people were in Corinth. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth with all of their problems, a myriad of problems of unity and faith and and getting over arrogance and pride. 
And he said, God has given you everything you need. I want to say that to the entire congregation. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has given you everything you need. Let's look at some ways that he's done that. The first one is this. He has given you all that you need to tell your family and friends and people you go to school with the reason for the hope you have in Christ. Simon Peter told the church that. He told all of us, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. There are always people, some of them who are saying it directly to you. Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why do you give sacrificially? Why do you care about these things? Don't you get bored? Don't you get tired? Why do, you, why do you persist in doing this? So how do you answer that? What do you say? Let me give you an example of some things you can say. My favorite is the one that many of you have heard me say again and again. It, it sticks in my mind. It resonates in my heart. What do you say to somebody about your faith in Christ and about the hope that you have in him? I think it is a very true statement what the, the young woman in the Salvation Army said. She said, I know I'm not all that I ought to be. Maybe all of us need to say that. Since none of us is perfect, since all of us or still have that old human nature within us. Since we're all waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus when that temptation is going to be taken away, maybe we all should say, I know I'm not all that I ought to be, but I thank God that I'm not all that I used to be. And can't you point out what God has done in your life and how he has blessed you. Look, look at these verses. Here's what Paul says. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given you in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about the gifts of grace, not things that you earned or deserved, but what you didn't deserve. And yet God gave it to you. And why did he give it to you? Not because of your goodness, not because you deserved it, not because you were his favorite, but because of the work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on your behalf. And remember, he did it for all of us. If you have trusted Christ, if you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior, if you have invited him to have control of your life, then this is what has happened. God the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. And when he came, he brought gifts spiritual gifts that you could use in his service. So we have all that we need to tell what God has done for us in Christ. 
And, and I think you ought to think through it. What, what would I say? If I were put on the spot, what is it that Christ does for you right now? What is it that makes a difference in life? How are you different now than you used to be? Well, there are hundreds of ways to answer that. Maybe a father would say, he has made me not the perfect father, but a whole lot better of a father than I've ever been. Maybe a mother would say that. Maybe, maybe we would talk about how he has made a difference in one aspect of our lives. I used to be angry, frustrated. I used to take it out on everybody around me, but I've, he has shown me that, that when I pray for patience, when I pray for his power in my life, that, that he makes a difference in me. Some of you have heard the testimony that I give. What, what has Christ done in my life? I always say there are two things I've never experienced. The first one is I've never been alone. Because even though I probably didn't know what the Holy Spirit meant when I was saved, God the Spirit came to dwell in my life, and he has never left me. The second thing, I've never been without hope. And by the way, this sermon is about hope. This sermon is about having what you need. I want to say to you, you are not on your own. You're not on your own because you're surrounded by a whole crowd of witnesses, of people who can testify of the, the blessings and the goodness of God. I want to say you are not alone because God the Spirit has come to dwell within you, and you have hope because of him. And you have everything that you need. For years, I prayed like this. God, you know I can be timid and shy and quiet. Doesn't sound like an, I can be quiet as much as I talk, but I can be shy and timid and quiet. So God, I need you to open the door for me so that I can tell of your goodness and mercy and salvation. And God, if you will open the door, I will be my, I will do my best to walk through it. And I've always found when I prayed in that way, remember what, what Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And we know that part of doing of his name means according to his character and according to his will. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I learned that God would always answer that prayer and that I would have that open door for evangelism. I want to say to you, you have everything that you need. You have everything that you need to share the hope that you have in Christ and to share the gospel with the people around you. And I know... As with me, it is sometimes easy to just be quiet. 
And instead of sharing what Christ has done, just to simply be silent. And sometimes it's because we don't know what we need to do and we don't know what we need to say and we don't know how to do it. So early in September, you're going to hear about a Saturday morning in which we bring in an outside trainer who in a, in a non-intimidating environment is going to train us, going to help us, going to show us ways to share our faith. I would really like for you to be a part of that. Can you imagine what would happen if just a few more of us would go into our communities and we would tell our neighbors and our friends and, and by all means our family members about what it is that God has done in our lives. Look at these verse. God thus confirmed our testimony about Jesus Christ among you. And what he means is you've seen the change in your life. So you that is being confirmed. Therefore, verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift. You as the church has been given what you need. I think we can say that. We've been given what we need. It's not that we need gifts. We have the gifts. We must embrace them. We must follow them. And we must use them, not for ourselves, but for the common good. Now, here was the church in, in, in Corinth. Think about them. It came out of idolatry, came out of paganism, came out of superstition. It's easy for superstition to get into the church. They came out of superstition. And then God the Holy Spirit came upon them and manifested himself among them. And what did they do? They said, look at me. Look at what I've done. That's not the reason the gifts of the Spirit are given. In fact, Paul makes it very plain. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about gifts. Now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given. So it's to everyone. It is a gift. But what's the gift for? Not to say, look at me. But for the common good. To bless the church. To do the work of ministry to carry out that work. I, I would like to give you a goal. I give you a lot of goals, but here's a goal I'd like to give. And that is that you begin saying, God, what do you want me to do to serve you and to serve the church? And there are all kinds of things that need to be done. Most of them, amazingly, one of, the, one of the biggest jobs we have is the gift of hospitality, of greeting people, of caring for people, of let, can I help you find where you need to go? Uh, sometimes we, we look with disdain on, on some of those jobs because right now being a parking lot greeter would be a really tough job. But what a difference it would make. Can I help you find where you're going? So you don't have to be a parking lot greeter. 
But you know what you do have to do? You do have to say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to make a difference in the church and in the world? God has called each of us to serve, and each of us has gifts that are given. We have a, we have a, a, a ministry that's called Place that's going to meet early in September, and it is for the sole purpose of helping you understand what your spiritual gifts are for and how they mesh with the work of the church. God has given us everything that we need. We are not weak. We're not without power. We're not without strength. When you go to school tomorrow, you are not without the power of God in your life. When you go to work tomorrow, you're not without the power of God in your life. Start the day, God, help me to be what you want me to be. The third thing you have everything you need for is you have everything you need to live a holy life. Now, I have a guess. I'm not sure it's right, but I think it is. And my guess is that of all the things that I could talk about, this is the place where you feel the most urgency. I want to live a holy life. Life, but how do I do it? Well, God has given you and me all that we need to live a holy life. By the way, what is a holy life? My guess is it's not what we've always thought about in South Louisiana as a holy life. A holy life means to be set apart for God, set apart for His good. It means that I, I define holiness in this way. Holiness means doing everything that God wants you to do and nothing that he doesn't want you to do. In other words, it's a desire to please God. And this, by the way, is God's plan for you. The word holy and the word holiness in the big church, at least in America, has almost become a word that we dare not use because it is so crossways with society, because it is so different from the world in which you live, so different from the world of Corinth. When, when Paul called them to live a holy life, here was something that they had never thought about, never imagined, never seen anybody do it, had no example of it at all. And sometimes I think we live in that same world. And yet here's the call of God in our lives. Listen to the words of Simon Peter writing to the church and the church that was displaced, the church that was fleeing from persecution. Here's what he says. But just as he who called you is holy, and the he who called you, God the Father, Christ the Son, just as he who called you is holy, 
so you be holy in all that you do. Not on Sunday, not only on Sunday, not just in public, not just when there are people around you, but that you are holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy, and the I is God. We want to be like Jesus. Is there any greater goal in our lives than to be like him, to live for him and to serve him? The Bible again and again tells us to do that. Listen to the words of Paul when he wrote to the Thessalonians. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So how in the world do I do that in the kind of world in which we live? Where every time, where every day, where every time you pick up your phone, where every time you listen to a podcast, where every time you see people around you, you see impurity and you see ridicule of those who talk about purity. How in the world do we do it? How can we say you have everything that you need? Because you have Holy Scripture and you have prayer and you have the power of God's Spirit in your life. So how do we do it? Let me give you some ways. Let me tell you what I've done. Years ago, I started praying one of the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes, the words of Jesus, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But those were not the ones that I prayed. I picked this one. Blessed are the pure in heart. And there's always a promise that comes with those beatitudes. And the promise that comes with the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, is the promise that they shall see God. Now, isn't that why you came to church today? To experience God, to see God, to hear from God? Isn't that why we are a part of the church? We, we, we're not here for a pastor, for music. We're, we're here for God. We want to see God at work in our lives. We, we want to know what he knows and what he wants us to do. What is a pure heart? It's one that doesn't manipulate other people. It's one that's not deceitful. It's one that's not self-seeking, greedy. It's not one that's unjust. When we pray in the name of Jesus and according to his power, he will give us what we ask. I would encourage you to pray, God, I want a pure heart. I would encourage you to say, God, I want to live a holy life, but you know I can't do this. I've tried. It doesn't work. 
So I want what you can do in me. And when you can pray and say, you tell me in Holy Scripture that you didn't call me to be impure, but to be holy. When you can say to God in prayer, God, I want to be holy because you are holy, as you say in your word. It just enhances your prayer life. Look to God. If you deal with fear, say, God, I want to be like Joshua. I want to be strong and courageous. If you deal with other issues, remind God what he says in his word. God, you tell me. We said in church Sunday that I have everything that I need. God, I depend on you. I cannot do it myself. When you say to God, God, I cannot do it myself, then God has you right where he can change your life because you finally given up and surrender to God and let God have control. You have everything you need to live a holy life. And do you know what? You have everything that you need to make it to the other side of the river. You have everything that you need to make it down the ski slope. You have everything that you need to make it in school with all of its temptations and problems. God is ready to give you everything you need so that you can be faithful to the end. Jesus often talked about being faithful to the end. He often talked about persevering to the end. This is what he wants us to do. Look at these words again from Paul to the church at Corinth. He will also keep you firm to the end. Now, here's the way we think about it. I've got to be firm to the end. Well, that's not what Paul said. You surrender your life to God. You trust him. You put your life in his hands, and he keeps you firm to the end. Now, that's something I can do. I can do that. I have everything I need. I simply need to surrender myself to God and let him be in control and let him take this issue that I deal with. God, I've tried and I've tried and I can't handle it, so I give it to you. And I let you have it. He will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord's return. You see, there's going to be a day. Either we're going to meet God after we die or the Lord's going to return and everything is going to be revealed and we're going to be in his presence. John says, Wayland's paraphrase, do you want to be ashamed on that day? Or would you like to be blameless before God? He will keep you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. And he has called you into the fellowship with his son. Now, there's one more problem that we have. And even though we're in a large crowd of people, We feel alone. 
We feel like Elijah fighting the prophets of Baal. Lord, I've been faithful. I've done my best. They've killed all the prophets. I'm the only one left. It's easy to feel like Elijah. It's easy to feel like nobody else cares. There's nobody else like me. Even if that were true, and it's not, remember what God said to Elijah? Elijah, what are you thinking about, man? There's 7,000 people around you who have not bowed down to Baal. So even if it were true, God blesses the lonely ones who are faithful to him. How many people got in the ark? Eight. Four people got out of Sodom and Gomorrah before it was destroyed. People who sought righteousness. Three men were able to be thrown into the fire because they were faithful to God. And the fourth was in the fire with them. There was only one woman who anointed the feet of Jesus. There was only one David who fought the giant. There was only one Elijah who fought against the prophets of Baal. And there was only one of Jesus' 12 who was there to the bitter end when Christ died on the cross. And so you have... Everything you can that you need to be faithful to God. It is simply up to us to say to God, God, I want a holy life. I want a fruitful life. I want a meaningful life. I want to please you. It is up for us to surrender and to seek him with all our heart. And I want to ask you to do that, to pray in that way, and many of you to come to the front and pray with the counselor, and some of you to openly show your faith in Christ by coming maybe from the top row to here and give your life to Christ. And I want to ask you if you would hang with us for about five more minutes. We're going to spend time watching people, praying for people who open themselves unto the Lord. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. As soon as I pray, it'll be finished praying. It'll be time for you to come and to pray and to seek God. God, thank you for your word and the power of it. And thank you for the gift of your spirit and the gifts that come with your spirit. God, help us to be faithful. God, I pray you would bless those people who are praying right now. God, I want to be like you. I want to be holy. I want to share my faith. I want to honor you and please you. And God, please bless those people who are going to come forward now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.